0: It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future.
1: Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.
0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignan, and I'm joined by, you guessed it, Rodney Evans. Hey,
1: everyone. Hey, everyone.
0: This is the fifth episode in our Ready for Anything series on finding a better way to work through pandemics. On today's episode, we are going to talk about the fifth space in the operating system canvas, resources, how we invest our time and money. And that means budgeting and that means figuring out what people are doing, etc. But before we unpack that, let's have our check-in round.
1: Let's have it. Okay. Like always, we do a check-in round question. And our question for today is, in this moment of uh, global pandemonium, what is something that you find ironic?
0: Well, it's it's it, I'm not. It is it is technically ironic, but it's also uh, weird and kind of tragic and bizarre. I'm not sure. I actually don't know how to characterize it emotionally. But I was looking at a chart that I believe is accurate. If it turns out it's apocryphal, I'd love to hear from listeners. But I, a chart came across my desk on Twitter. Of uh, of deaths of deaths by week, you know, comparing this year to prior years, and it was way down. What? Because nobody because we're not driving.
1: shooting people. Oh, we're not, we're driving. not driving. Yeah.
0: Oh, Jesus. and so it was like yeah, so it was like globally we're just safer right now.
1: Whoa. And
0: I was like, that's super ironic because I would have predicted it to be through the roof kind of thing.
1: That so yeah, un- un- unintended wild. consequences. I would have figured it was uh, gun violence related since that is such a. I'm sure that could be part of it
0: too. I'm sure that could be part of it too, but it's just generally we're just all doing less stuff. (laughs) Less
1: stuff is less death. That is fascinating. Uh, My answer is much less global in nature, Um, but before we kicked off this series related to coronavirus, we had talked about doing an episode before we both went on vacation about what badass packers we are and how awesome (laughs) we are at uh, At travel. (laughs) And now, as every day, we're like, okay, what do companies need to think about to survive this moment? I just think it, there's an irony in the fact that you and I were sort of like patting ourselves on the back for how dope we are. We were are. this close. We were like a day from just doing that episode before we both like, you went to Paris and I went to Palm Springs. And now, here we are. That
0: ep would have flopped so hard.
1: Can you imagine how tone deaf? <laughs> just people would be like, get out of here. So, uh, so That's you know, amazing. irony. Uh always in these moments. It's interesting to look for. Uh, today's topic, as Aaron said at the top of the show, is going to be resources. So I'm going to just start with asking you to define the space for us a bit and, uh, and set the stage for what you think we should be thinking about and talking about now.
0: So the space, I think, you know, in in peacetime is pretty obvious. It's it's really about allocating resources and we have assets and we have people and we have money and stuff and all these things that we have to decide what to do with uh, to serve the purpose of the business. And so it's very intimately connected to strategy, which we spoke about last time. Um, it's very connected to kind of the, the structure of the organization and where that energy is going. And I think generally speaking, the thesis uh, at the ready around this space is that we have become, you know, too enamored with a very particular kind of resource allocation, which, you know, but for the most part kind of originated with James O. McKinsey about 100 years ago, um, and was very much about kind of controlling the organization through money. And so uh, the idea of the annual plan, the annual budget, you know, the annual prediction being a single monolithic thing that we have to hit, and we don't want to, you know, we don't want to miss it and the whole theater that goes on around deciding, you know, how to, how to run that budgeting process and get everybody to, you know, answer with what they think they can do and what they think is gonna happen. And there's sandbagging and politics and pushback. And it's, you know, it's a bunch of shenanigans and it's extremely wasteful. And so uh, the main thesis here is like, let's, let's al- allocate our resources in a more complexity conscious way. And that, you know, we can talk about all the different techniques for that. But I think in this moment in particular, it's especially true because one of the funniest things that, you know, is going on right now is all of our budgets are screwed, like the, you know, almost any budget that existed for 2020 is wrong, like way wrong. Um, Either you underestimated because you were, you know, zoom or slack, like we talked about last time, and you're blowing the doors off, or you way overestimated because you're, you know, Olive Garden. And it's like, it's game over. So that in some ways that highlights the folly of the practice. Um, and, and and highlights the need you know around it. So I think t- today I kind of want to just talk about like how how would you fix it in peacetime but more importantly, like what would you do about it in a moment like this?
1: Yeah. And one thing I want to really prime us with before we get into all of the ways in which we can think differently and we can be complexity conscious is a really strong advocacy for taking the people positive, lens on this right now. <clears throat> yeah. And what I mean by that is this. Uh there is a lot of insanity going on in the world right now. And when we talk about remote work and we talk about new ways of working, it's really easy and it's really lazy to be like, well, you know, people don't have as much slack and they don't have as much flexibility because their kids are home or because there's distractions or because they don't have a proper home office or because, you know, the mm-hmm. internet is not doing what it's supposed to be doing consistently. And all of that is true. And there is also just like the fog of living in this mess that is also (laughs) true. And so as we go into talking about budget allocations and how you can rethink about these things, I just want us to keep in mind that this is not the moment to assume that people are going to be at their most efficient, that they're going to be the most able to give 150%. Even if they want to, even if that's their intention, a lot of people out there, and I am having my own moments like this, are having a really difficult time just like staying focused and making the stuff we're supposed to and like you know, a lot of us, I think at the beginning of this had big aspiration of like, I'm finally going to like clean out my closet and write the great American novel. And what we're finding instead is like getting dressed and like getting through the day <laughs> That's is a, a lot. So <laughs> that was like a long, you know, thanks for coming to my Ted talk. But like for the leaders out there, as we get into this, don't be like, Ooh, like don't twist your mustache and be like, this is a moment to really figure out like how to just like extract the most out of people. Cause like people do not have more right now to give, in a in mm-hmm. most instances, emotionally,
0: and especially, you know, people that have um, anxiety, people that have, you know, things that just kind of get exacerbated people with big families where they're trying to homeschool, like four kids, like, yeah. it's just, it's bonkers. It's bonkers. Um, so yeah, I totally agree. And in some ways, I think, you know, the goal here needs to be to optimize for getting through it on all those dimensions right Mm -hmm. so on the financial dimension and the emotional and energetic dimension and just think about like how can we set this thing up so that we're very responsive we're reacting to what's happening in the moment and we are sailing smooth and we're just you know we're just like keeping the wheels on the bus if we can keep the wheels on the bus because this is definitely one of those things i have this business philosophy generally that like staying alive it equals massive victory yeah. and and now it's especially true like yeah. if you can just be alive in 6 months like if you're a restaurant that still exists in 6 months you're going to be full Good on monday you. night right you know what i mean like yep. it, all you have to do is hang on so i think that needs to be the overarching goal here not how do we extract the most but actually how do we just be here how do we yeah. be present how do we be an airline in 2021
1: exactly so with that being said let's start With the idea around costs and what is fixed or committed that you just have to live with in this moment, and what are some of the levers that you actually have to pull? Uh, So, Aaron, why don't you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, so this is one of my favorite ways to think about money. If you draw a graph, where you basically show with a line over time, your your sort of committed costs, right? And some of those are fixed costs like rent. And some of those are probably just committed costs that you're contractually obligated to pay um, things that you have to do. Uh, and you sort of draw that over time, usually what happens is it's sort of a flat plateau, and then it kind of eases off at some mm-hmm. point. And, th- and the older your business is, the longer that can be. Um, I remember a conversation distinctly that I had with Uh, with someone at GE once where they were talking about things they were committed to that were 10 years in the future. And they were like fully locked in. I was like, okay, whoa, that's insane Um, and amazing. And then, uh, you know, for a brand new startup, it might be a week or two weeks or Mm -hmm. month to month rent or something. So you draw that line. And then uh, you draw another line, which represents the things you think you might want to do, right? So what are the things that are like usually part of your variable cost, usually, you know, part of your strategy, you might want to sponsor this, you might want to pay for that. And you can kind of see what those look like. And that space is is sort of the the play area. Mm -hmm. And then the line to track over time as you look at kind of how to be responsive is, what is revenue? Mm -hmm. So if if the revenue line tracks with the two of those combined, then you are able to afford your stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're kind of living in that zone of plenty. And if you have a period where the revenue dips and you see like this pattern there, That's where you want to then carve out of the, of the, you know, variable and optional costs so that you can say like, all right, well, we, you know, we thought we were on track for a month. And then in month two, things really took a dip. And so what we're going to do now is look ahead and start to carve out what we can get away from. And it's just this habit of uh, responsive or, or kind of reactionary um, spending, which Mm -hmm. is like, you know, we're we're not spending based on a budget where we just assume everything's going to work we're actually spending based on what's happening at a top line level. And we're aware of what our absolute bottom line kind of expense load is so that if we get lower than that, we know how much The house is on fire Mm -hmm. and that's just like a a chart that we can live with week to week month to month and 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 play with and it's also just the idea generally of like do you even know what costs you have to carry versus ones you don't do you know what contracts you can break versus ones you can't i mean i saw in the news uh this week that uh, the cheesecake factory was like we're not paying rent (laughs) yeah and they're and the mall owner was like yes you are and and so they're in they're in a legal fight now about that and and so that's obviously an example of something that like one party thinks is, is locked and the other party doesn't. So, um, so that's the idea. And I think, you know, that exercise can take an hour or two, but is really worthwhile in this moment.
1: Yeah. And I think that um, for the people who work in really big organizations where that becomes like a two week long, really unwieldy deep dive with finance, (laughs) think about how you can do this in a simpler way, because I think it's really good advice. And also it's really easy for people to get like, overly heady about that and turn it into like an exhaustive forensic exercise and like that's not really what you're talking about
0: no it should be a napkin sketch right like it doesn't have to be perfect it should be 90 or 80 percent accurate yeah um because again like it's going to change anyway so you just want to have a sense of what are the big marbles in the in the bin, you know? Right. And then how do I move them around?
1: And like a lot of other things right now, uh, 80% good and relevant right now is better than 100% perfect and two weeks too late. So like, totally, do not totally. math Because in two weeks, uh, it, who knows?
0: And in some ways that connects to, to another idea to talk about, which is rolling forecasts. Yeah. So, you know, usually it, one of the fatal flaws with traditional budgeting is uh, it tries to do too many things at once. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, we want you to be uh, a floor and we want you to be a target and we want you to be a forecast. Mm-hmm. And all of those are different, right? A floor should be the, you know, kind of the minimum, the most, you know, the minimum amount of profitability we want to see, the the maximum amount you can spend, et cetera. Um, the target should be this ideal optimized uh, state, right? Like this is the revenue we'd love to see this year. We want to grow 20%. We want to do X, Y, Z. And the forecast is supposed to be what's actually going to happen. hmm Um, so those are three different things, right? The, the minimum, the maximum and the, and what we think will actually happen. And when you jam them into one number, um, the number becomes bullshit because it can't do all those things well. So it has to pick what it's going to do well. And generally what happens is the leadership says, well, gosh, we'd really like the budget to be built on a target model where Mm -hmm. we have this big stretch goals because wouldn't it be great if we were more profitable and more revenue and they want to push, push, push for that. And the people that are accountable for that and on the hook are like, we should really pull this down to a- at least a forecast, mm-hmm. um, if not a, if not more of like a floor mentality where like we're going to sandbag and then that way we can beat our target. And, and then, of course, people in finance want to know what's actually going to happen. Of and course. that's, you know, that's missing. So anyway, so all of which is just to say like one thing we can do about forecasts that's nice is we can just do them all the time and make them independent from the amount of money we get to spend or have to spend make them independent from, you know, bonuses and incentives and just say, like, what do you think is actually going to happen? And ask the question every month. Yeah. And so you're just rolling, rolling, rolling.
1: And I think two things about that are really helpful and important. One is call it a forecast and not a plan because we have a tendency to be like, this is our quarterly plan. And it's like, yeah. no, it's not. This is yeah. our quarterly guess. That's totally fine.
0: And <laughs>
1: two is, you know, this is, again, the kind of thing that is a good practice anytime. Like the way that yeah. I... Uh, used to do this when I was running my own P&L and teach clients to do it was on a six quarter rolling basis. And mm. so every quarter you would look at what actually happened and then you would add a quarter and the confidence level of that quarter was very low. And your confidence mm-hmm. level around the upcoming quarter should have been much, much higher. And I think yeah. depending on the dynamism in the environment. Maybe that increment right now is monthly. Like I think look at how quickly things are changing so that you can have your rolling forecasting matching the speed at which the environment is changing, but also don't forget the confidence part. Like no one should be expected to be as confident right now about what's happening at the end of 2020 as they are about what's happening tomorrow. So like, That's let's right. make sure that as we're doing forecasting work, we're baking that in. And there's nothing wrong with, um, like we were talking with Douglas yesterday, there's nothing wrong with sort of like extrapolating trends out as a mm-hmm. thought exercise, but- just be clear on what your confidence level is that that trend or that prediction will come to fruition. And if, you know, if your confidence six months from now is 5%, fine, no big deal.
0: Yeah, totally. Let's just be clear totally. about that. Well, and know your industry. I mean, you know, right now you happen to be working with someone in the cable business. Um, mm-hmm. I, they can probably predict with relatively good accuracy what's going to be true in a year, mm-hmm. um, even maybe amidst these times, if not in in normal times. Uh, our business transparently like when I do forecasting both informally and formally with our system I'm talking about 30 to 60 days usually mm-hmm. um, because the reality is we just don't know beyond that like we just don't see all of our stuff is way too week to week in terms of its dynamics and things change like you know we we have teams that are thinking they're going to scale and then they don't and thinking that they're going to go away and then they renew Um, And so, yeah, for our business, for our kind of consulting, it might be a a couple months is as far as we need to look. And by the way, we've been doing that for five years and we're still here. So like I don't need an annual forecast to survive if that's not the nature of my business. And over time, the bigger we get, the longer that will go. You know, the more it will grow and, and sort of reach out.
1: Yeah. So while we're talking about forecasting, let's talk about targeting. There are schools of thought that say no targets, they're irrelevant, and that's not the point. There are schools of thought that say rigidly, annual, fixed, uh, you know, this is what you must hit. And those usually increase every year. And there is the third way, which is relative targeting uh, to market or competitor. So so let's talk about those and what might serve right now. How are you thinking about targeting at the moment?
0: Well, first of all, hashtag beyond budgeting, let's yes. give props where props is due, because that, you know, uh, movement and roundtable sort of came up with a lot of this stuff, or at least codified it for for us. Um, I think, so a few things, I think no targets is, is fine, um, provided that you are comfortable with an emergent level of performance. And you don't have other parts of your operating system dependent on measuring performance. Mm-hmm. Because if you, for example, want to have a profit sharing program or a bonus program or, a, you know, some kind of thing that is tied to how are we doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't have targets, then you're going to have to kind of evaluate that up to the fact. And that might, you know, let bias creep in or inertia or what have you right if you like how do we know how we did this year if we don't measure against anything um by the same token i think for small businesses for businesses in crisis like this etc um sometimes the target is just like let's do our best and see what happens mm-hmm. and i think that's totally fine and and frankly like for most of the ready's history that's been our approach um mm-hmm. it's very hard to find direct competitors for us it's very hard to have team to team uh kind of comparisons at our scale and so you know for most of it it's been like let's just do our best work Let's do the best work of our lives and see how the numbers play out. And mm-hmm. as long as we can all make a living and we're happy with that, then we're good. Mm-hmm. Um, for bigger companies, for companies that want to uh, kind of have a better sense of how they're doing, I think that's where you get into the the fixed uh, targets versus the relative targets. And the best way to describe this is a fixed target is something that is independent of what happens in the world. So we say we're going to grow 10% this year, mm-hmm. 10% growth this year. That's the goal. And we all hustle towards it. And uh, if the market does something crazy, like maybe there's a pandemic, um, we all miss our bonus, Mm -hmm. right? Because it doesn't happen. It doesn't play out. Um, And by the same token, if we say 10% fixed growth is the goal and we do hit it and we get our bonus, but the competitors in our space grew 20%, -hmm. that actually we failed. We missed Mm -hmm. something and yet we're still being rewarded like we succeeded. And so that's the basic problem with the fixed target model. The relative target model, of course, just says, well, don't do that. Instead, just say we want to be ten percent better than the competition, or we want you know each branch to try to be ten percent better than the average, or mm-hmm. we want you know something that looks like that. And and the most you know famous case of this is probably Handelsbanken, the, mm-hmm. the Swedish bank, who who basically says you know we want to have better uh, profit over revenue every year on average than the average of all the other European banks. Mm-hmm. And so that's the mark, like, that's what we're going to try to do. And in a huge downturn, it might mean that flat is a win. Yeah. And in a huge upswing, it might mean that you have to have 30% growth or something to, to hit that number. So that's, that's how they look at it at a global system level. And then at in an individual level, you can you can play this game with with lower stakes, but you can play this game team to team branch to branch. And so uh, in the ready, for example, we look at like project profitability across teams. Mm -hmm. Nobody is rewarded or punished based on it, but we look at it and we use it for data and we use it for steering.
1: Yeah. And two examples of what you're talking about that I've seen that are just interesting to say. Because I think it's, I think in these moments, it's easy to be dismissive and be like, well, this is an unprecedented time in history. But like <laughs> it's also not um, in some ways because there are always emergent events and we often don't sure. adapt to them. And then we're like, huh, that was crazy that that happened. That'll probably never happen again. And it's like, no, it will next yeah. year. It'll just be to a different department. Was, yeah. So 2008 being an example, I was working at an investment bank when all of that happened. and. I distinctly remember the bank that I worked at did not take Tart money. And mm. there were certain uh, departments within that bank, really like whole functions within that bank that made their. Numbers that year. So whereas, like right. oh, global markets was on fire, like private wealth management and asset management exceeded expectations for all of the reasons that wow. you would expect, and those people got paid out at more than a hundred percent of their bonus. And you're like, there are protesters outside that want to literally murder us. Should you guys be hey, making hundred and fifty percent of your bonus this year? Like wild. That doesn't seem right. Like that doesn't seem logical, even even to me, uh, as a person who benefited <laughs> greatly from that. And then the counter argument. So, you know, that's like talking about the fixed targeting thing. And and then the counter argument, when I was working with a restaurant company a couple of years ago, there was a period of time that like, basically, all of the cows in Brazil, like, died. I mean, I'm yes, oversimplifying, yes. but effectively, but it was like yeah. the supply chain was jacked. and the And the reality, and it was one of the most adaptive practices that that org had was that they were able to look at their quarter, look at the fact that they were hugely reliant on these suppliers who just could not produce anything mm-hmm. that they were going to pay these cra- crazy premiums and able to adjust and reforecast. And that, And as a result, they quote unquote beat a lot of their competitors who were not in <laughs> a similarly adaptive position. So like it's right. a good practice because pandemic, notwithstanding, there's always going to be cow disease and there's always going to be financial up and down. And like, we should just be smarter about moving with the market.
0: Totally. And I think for right now, uh, you know, the relative target is going to be based on, well, what's happening in our space and getting a look around. And so I would advise listeners who have the ability to do this. If you're not a, you know, a massive company that has data, just sort of pouring in about everybody else. Um, you know, go go round up a group of, of people that are in the same industry as you and just agree to share transparently yeah. what's going on for a little while as a way of keeping everybody informed about what normal looks like. Yep. And so, you know, if you have a group of, of five restaurants or five consulting companies or five, you know, I don't know, um, manufacturers, you can say, hey, uh let's share once a week or let's share once a day or let's share once a month and um and then we'll know what to do and by the same token if you have a big system or a system with many different players inside just start playing the game of how's it going for each you know unit and then figuring out where the units are doing well what's the story
1: Well, you and, basically and have your own market story. inside your yeah you have so a market. use that market
0: Right. And, and it might be that the story is, oh, well, they're in unaffected areas. All right. Well, we can't do much about that. Mm-hmm. But there's going to be one that's in an affected area that's figured something out and you can then leverage that. So mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's another way to, to think about this stuff. So the next place to turn is to one of the other uh, resources. And I put that in air quotes because I freaking hate that. Um, but basically the <laughs> idea that like people are resources is weird to me. Uh, but nonetheless, it's sort of in this space of like what what effort and what things can we apply? Mm -hmm. And so it's, you know, you also have to talk about time and energy. So like, where do we put ourselves? And in very fixed systems, that means we're sort of locked into teams and we're locked into assignments. But as we've talked about in previous episodes in more fluid systems, anything is possible. So Mm -hmm. how would you think about the resource allocation of people in this moment? Mm
1: -hmm. So in the strategy episode that we did, We talked a bunch about how we invest our money in this moment and how we think about, you know, innovation and bets versus the core business and keeping things going. Do that work and then have the resource allocation of the human beings follow. So I'm in (laughs) conversations right now about, you know, what 2020 outcomes are going to be less relevant because of what's going on and what gigantic new opportunities have been unlocked because of what's going on. And what needs to follow that pretty imminently is having the human beings then like shape shift to organize around that stuff. And so Mm -hmm. what we don't want to do is keep – Structure or hierarchy or intact teams, and then try to like piece up the work and make it fit into our structures. We've talked about Mm -hmm. this in other episodes. We want to be allocating time and energy of our human capacity in our system against the things that we believe are going to help us survive, and then against the things that we, against the bets that we want to place that we think are going to have tremendous upshot for us. And to me, the piece of that that's going to be hardest is a clear-eyed look at what we really don't need to do. So what I usually see is not a lack of enthusiasm for new things or for survival, but a lack of discipline around what's actually not that important that we could let go of, even if we did write it down on a piece of paper in December and say it was really critical at the time.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and those processes, I think, can be uh, a little bit further apart or a little bit closer together. So the, you know, the kind of allocating resources and strategic bets, and then aligning people to that, you know, you can do that with exercises like putting all the possible bets and, and, and existing activities on the wall doing some monopoly money work with everybody where we kind of yeah. get the wisdom of the crowd to to play against that. And then even getting them to start to allocate themselves against those things that get a lot of funding or a lot of support from the collective. Um, and you can do that at a team level or a functional level or a unit level or even company wide if you're small enough. Um, so that's, that's the kind of thing where you sort of do the strategy first and then you and then you allocate um, energy and, and money around it. The other thing that is possible, um, maybe not you know, as a reaction to this exact pandemic, but is possible to build as a capability, is just a real vote-with-your-feet um, ecosystem and marketplace inside of a system. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, the, you know, the example there that I always used to harp on about was valve where the desks all have wheels on them. And you know, you can literally on Wednesday, like unplug your desk from game a and roll it over to game B and be like, see, ya, I'm working on game B now. And and imagine the power of that in this time, when Mm -hmm. you have so many things going on, to just see like, if people were free to just go work on what they think would would do the most. Um, You know, how would that go? And there are a ton of prerequisites for that being a healthy functional thing Mm -hmm. uh, around purpose around transparency around, you know, feedback loops, like there's a whole bunch of stuff that has to be present for that to work. But I would be remiss to not mention that it is possible. And, and, you know, to sort of tease at how powerful it would be in this, you know, in this time. And yeah. in some cases, I mean, we're, we're sort of taking advantage of that, right? Like we're doing this series of podcasts. We're doing, um, a, you know, a special kind of online thing that we'll be talking about and releasing later. Uh, we're, we've definitely shuffled the chairs inside right. the group without a meeting on strategy.
1: Right, exactly. And just to sort of bring this to a close in the same place that I started with my uh, opening (laughs) TED Talk. There's also a closing TED Talk, but it's shorter. This Uh, one's in the lobby. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, This is over drinks afterward. Uh, At the individual level of time and energy, What I'm not seeing yet, but we need to see more of is how are people able to invest their time during the day so that they can have enough energy to get through this. And Mm. right now, uh, even though most traditional leaders are like, you know, sit at your desk eight hours a day and be on video six of those hours, monitoring and software. yeah, monitoring software. And you know, my best friend forwarded me something about a woman who is requiring her employees to leave their video on all day just so I she can like, look at them. Like that kind that of is shenanigans so is coming up right now, and like the reality is, for a lot of us, and I will lead by example. For me to be productive, there are certain things that I have to do right now that might not look to other people like productivity. So, like, right now, if I don't, like, get outside for an hour and I don't work out for an hour and I don't, like, take a break to just, like, have a nonsense conversation for an hour, I'm not making it through a 10-plus-hour day as they often are in this moment. So, like, I – Let's just collectively, because we have the opportunity, reimagine what quote-unquote work is and understand that as knowledge workers, we are the resource to protect and take care of and invest in right now. And for all of us, that is going to look a little bit different. And if you need, you know, an hour at 2 p.m. to go and, like, play a game online and, like, turn your Mm -hmm. brain off – do that. Like that is a good investment so that our resources can actually make it out the other side of this thing.
0: Plus one. And to circle back to the irony of the check-in question, all of the best productivity experts that I know and follow are like committed and convinced that we have about four hours a day of great work in us. yep, And the rest of it is BS. Yeah. And so, like, if that's true, then let's really sink into that, you know? Let's
1: really sink into it. And let's recognize the fact that, like, if I'm at my desk for 10 hours, the second half of that could be done in two hours if I was fresh. Mm -hmm. I'm -hmm. just, I'm unfocused because my brain is tired and taxed. And so, everything is taking longer than it should. And so, like, that's, if that's true of me, that's probably true of a lot of people. And so, let's just get hip to that.
0: Well, then I think we better shut it down so we can both go take a walk.
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: <laughs> um, always a pleasure.
1: It was a fun one today. Uh, if you are digging this Ready for Anything arc that we're working on for you, uh, forward this show, please, to your people who are trying to keep their businesses afloat and uh, and also leave us a review. We would really appreciate it. It would mean a lot to us. And uh, yeah, go do that. <laughs>
0: Uh, also a quick and usual tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin for making us sound good in closets in uh, houses, <laughs> wherever we are um, Brave New Work is produced by The Ready where we help organizations around the world change the way they work you can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at the com. it works we reply Check we love you it and yeah do it um, and as for you thanks for listening now go change something